Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me, please, this morning? Father, we thank you for the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. As we have sung this morning, it is the prayer of our hearts to say we receive your reign. We receive the visitation and the promise of Holy Spirit anointing, which only you can provide. I ask you this morning to anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God and to anoint the hearing of this congregation that we might hear the word with gladness in our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to use as a subject, just a simple subject, that God is able. Would you say that with me this morning? God is able. Now that sounded good. Let's say it again. God is able. That is the most threatening thing for the devil to hear this morning, is a church that knows that God is able. The Word of God tells us this morning that God is able. I don't know what you are facing. I don't know the challenges that are in your life. Perhaps they are great. Perhaps they are small. Perhaps they are uh, something that you have just overcome and survived. Perhaps it is something that you're just now getting into. But I want you to know this, church, that we serve a powerful God who is able to do things far beyond that that we could even imagine. His, his power and his work in favor of the believer needs to be the constant and, uh, and most refreshed memory in our, in our minds. When we go through life, when we go through our day, we need to keep in our mind and our memory and continually refresh this thing that tells us that God is good and that God is able because the enemy will come to try to steal this truth from your life. The enemy will come to try to take away from you your confidence and your faith in God. Now, in order to illustrate this for us this morning, I want to take you to the book of Revelation for just a few moments. In the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, chapter 4, we find the story, uh, a prophetic vision that John the Apostle saw. John the Apostle went to heaven and he saw the throne room of God. Can you imagine that this morning? The splendor and the majesty of the throne room of God. And he saw there a book that was sealed with seven seals. Uh, we call it a book. The, the uh, old word would be a scroll. It was a, a scroll that, that was literally the title deed of the universe. It was the title deed of the human race. And this is an important uh, book and it's an important picture for us to know and understand because whoever owns the title deed owns the future of the universe, owns the future of the human race. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the title deed of humanity was brought under the bondage of sin, death, and Satan. And so our lives, our futures were, were bound to the, the whim and the will of the, of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said that, that Satan was the prince of this world. 
That means that he has authority and he has power in the present age. And the world, when you study and you realize the world we live in, you realize that we live in a dark place, don't we? We live in a place where evil uh, rears its head and where it reigns. And you start to understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, they literally handed the title deed of the human race and the universe to hell or to the devil and to, into darkness. And from that moment on, every man, woman, and child ever born has been born under the uh, curse of sin. And so we deal with daily the power of sin in our lives. I don't know if you've ever noticed that even babies and little boys and little girls start at a very young age to reveal the fact that they are sinners, that they have a sin nature. They're very cute, aren't they? But they show you every once in a while that there is something on the inside of man that is bent toward wrong. It is bent toward sin. That's the sin nature. And this is the result of Adam and Eve having sold us into the bondage of sin. Here's what John saw. He saw this book, and this book was sealed by seven seals. And really what this means was that no one could alter the fact of what had been done at the Garden of Eden. There was no one who could alter the history of man or the future of man. There was no one that could change the direction of man's curse and man's sin. And that was a terrifying fact. The Bible said that John began to weep because he saw that there was no one able and no one worthy to open the book and to break its seals. I believe this morning that you and I, our, our life is like that scroll. That our life is destined to, to ruin if someone does not intervene. Our life without God is like that book that cannot be altered. The, the history or, of man is set and the future of man is written. And it is doom and it is darkness unless someone comes in who can change the story of your life. And the Bible said that John began to weep because there was no one who could open that book and who could break its seals. Yet, the Bible said that when he began to weep, he heard the voice of a, of a messenger, of an angel, that stood beside him and said, John, why are you weeping? He said, I'm weeping because there is no one worthy and no one able to buy this book and to break its seals. And the, the voice said to him, don't weep anymore, John. Behold the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is able and he is worthy to open the book and to break its seals. What John saw there was the picture of our redemption. He saw the fact that there was one who came through time and history to alter the course of your life, to alter the course of men, and to alter the course of the universe. And this one is not, is not a man only, but he is the son of the living God. He is Jesus Christ, whose cross has paid the price for man's redemption. So today, friend, Jesus owns the title deed to the universe, and Jesus owns the title deed to your life. And if you will come to him by faith, he will change your future. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about Jesus will change your future. Without Christ, man ought to do like John and start weeping because there is no one who can alter your future. 
without Christ. Without Christ, man is destined to sin. He's destined to bondage. He's destined to death. He's destined to hell. That is an irrevocable fact unless Jesus comes into that life. No one can change that fact about you, friend, but Jesus. You've got to get to know Jesus because Jesus can rewrite your life. Jesus can rewrite your story. Jesus can turn an outlaw into an in-law, right? He can turn a, he can turn someone who's an outsider into an insider. A stranger becomes a son. He changes the direction of our life and he changes the direction of our entire future. Now, instead of being bound, we're free. Now, instead of being a, 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 a yoked to sin, we are now yoked to holiness. Now, instead of being, uh, going toward the grave, we're going toward eternal life knowing that the grave has no final hold on us and now instead of hell we're going to heaven in the presence of an almighty and good God somebody ought to thank God because Jesus rewrote the story tell your neighbor Jesus rewrote my story that's good news all you have to do is think about it a little bit Think about where you were, where you were headed. And you don't have to think too far to realize where this thing was going. But then Jesus stepped in. And Jesus pulled out the pen of grace and he started writing a new story. Come on, somebody. He started writing a new tale over your life. He changed the course of your life. Don't worry. He said, don't weep. There is one who is able. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 tells us this. God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, through Christ. I want you to let those words sink in this morning because there are some people who the devil tells God can't save you. The enemy will tell you, God can't forgive you. You've sinned too much. You've done too many bad things. You've broken God's law. Ten commandments, you've broken all of them ten times. He'll tell you, you have violated the, the, the essence of the holiness of God. And the enemy will tell you, God can't save you. But the Bible this morning says that God is able to save. And I'm going to just pause right there and give God thanks that he is able to save. That there is no one outside the reach of the mercy of God. No one outside the reach of the grace of God. When I think about my own life and I think about the fact that I was saved by grace as a child, I think of the glories of the fact that God is able to save. But then I think about some of you. You didn't come quite so young. You didn't come quite so easily. There was a period of time in which you were struggling with God. You were trying to get away from God, but you realized that God was able to reach down and to rescue, that he was able to get you where you were. I read to the students this week at the Bible school out of the book of Isaiah. The Bible says, the wrath of God came in like a flood and that the waters of God's wrath rose up until it was at their necks. How many of you have ever been in that kind of trouble when all the things you've done have just about 
uh, drowned you out. They were in so much trouble that the water was at their necks. But you know what that let me know? That let me know that when they were at their wit's end, that God stepped in with some grace. Aren't you glad that he didn't let you get overthrown or over, uh, that the overflow of that wrath didn't take you down? But God stepped in just in the nick of time and he rescued you. You might say, Pastor, not me. I was sinking. I was going under. I was already drowning. But then the merciful hand of God reached down and drew you up out of the water. Come on, somebody. God is able to save. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here been saved? Now, that was a good good answer, but I want you to answer like you know that you know that you know. Is there anybody in here that knows that you have been saved? Hallelujah. Somebody ought to celebrate that because to be saved is to be secure in the presence of God. I'm saved by God's amazing grace. So they say, Pastor, maybe, maybe God can save you. You were a young boy when you came to Christ, but not me. I have, I have been in a different route. I have done all the things that I should not have done. Can God rescue me out of sexual immorality? Can God rescue me out of drug addiction or alcoholism? Can God rescue me out of pornography? Can God rescue me out of, out of being a, a liar and a cheat and a thief? Can I tell you, friend, that God has yet to meet one man he cannot save? I said God has yet to meet a man that he cannot save. God is able to save. What kind of salvation can he provide? The text says God is able to save to the uttermost. We don't usually use that word in the 21st century American English. Uttermost. But uttermost means that he can save completely. Absolutely. That he can can save down to the last part. Oh, friend, I want you to know that when God rescues, he can rescue you and save you to the uttermost. When he saved you, he didn't just save your soul. He, cha- he saved the way you thought. He saved the way you spoke. He saved the way you walk. He saved the way you did things, the way you made decisions. He saved you to the uttermost. And every single day, he's still working on your life. And he's bringing salvation into every aspect of your life. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Christ. You see, friend, there is salvation in no other only in Jesus Christ. Jesus alone can save. I said Jesus alone can save. All, all of us in here have looked for saviors in other places, but we discovered that Jesus alone could save. That Jesus, his love, his mercy, his grace and compassion, so vast, so wide, that it can reach a man or woman in the most desperate place, And save them completely. That is the miracle of salvation. That is the miracle of grace. The Bible tells us furthermore. In Jude chapter 1 verse 24. That God is able to keep me from falling. Anybody ever fallen? You know one day I drove up to a convenience store. I was about. 25 or so. 
And I looked inside, there was a whole bunch of old people, frail looking old people, having coffee. And I, 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 I'm saying that for emphasis because there aren't any old people in here this morning. Right? So, uh, and, and I thought, oh, pobres viejitos, right? They're having their coffee. And, and then I walked up the curb and I tripped on the curb and fell on my face in front of the pobres viejitos. I thought, this is embarrassing. If anybody's supposed to be falling around here, it should be the older people. It shouldn't be me. Has anybody ever fallen? You know, the Bible says that if any man thinks that he is standing to be careful, lest he fall. The enemy is out to bring you into a fall. He wants to cause you to stumble. His, uh, his plan is the destruction of your faith, the destruction of your confidence in God. And often as we're going, there is a, 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 an opportunity over and over again to trip, to stumble, to fall. And even uh, often uh, the, the Bible talks about the slippery slope of sin. Friend, I advise you this morning that if you want to be secure, don't walk on the edge of the slippery slope. Some Christians like to play with sin. They like to play with the slippery slope. They like to play on the edge of sin. Friend, you have an enemy who is looking for you to fall. Not only is he looking for you to fall, but he is strategizing against you so that you will fall. The Bible said that our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is seeking someone to destroy. And so he prowls around. And if you've ever watched a lion hunt, uh, you might have seen it on the Discovery Channel. They don't just run up to their prey. but Rather, they, they prowl around. They kind of look and they identify the weakest member of the pack. They identify the one that likes to stray a little bit. The one that likes to get off by itself and gets easily distracted. And then the lion roars. And when the lion roars, the pack begins to scatter. And once the scattering takes place, the lion goes after that weak one who likes to be by himself, that likes to be isolated. That's hell's strategy for your life. Hell's going to do a few things just like this. Number one, the enemy will come and he will search you out. He'll find your weak spot. He'll find the place where he can cause you to stumble. And then he will bring an element of fear or an attack, something sudden into your life, unexpected. And that sudden unexpected thing often causes us to scatter. And you get away from the house of God. You get away from prayer meeting. You get away from your Bible. You get away from church. And then you're alone. And when you're alone and you're isolated and you're having a pity party, hell comes in and comes in for the kill in order to destroy your life. But let me tell you something, friend. God is able to keep you from falling. I said God is able to keep you from falling. This is the most glorious thought to me that God is able to keep me. Not only was he able to save me, but he's able to keep me saved. He's able to keep me in his love, to keep me in his grace, to keep me in his revelation of his word. He's able to keep me from falling. That comes in rich communion with God. That's why you need to walk daily with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will challenge you. 
The Holy Spirit will tell you, you can't entertain that thought. You can't entertain that, that way of thinking. The Holy Spirit will challenge the way we live and he'll challenge the way we think and he will, he will keep us from falling. He'll keep us from the slippery slope. Some of you this morning are on the slippery slope. Hell's dangling a carrot at you. And you've got to remember that the enemy is not out to encourage you. He's out to destroy your life. He has one goal, and that is the absolute destruction of the soul. And if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. So you've got to be kept by the Spirit of God. But you know, not only does God keep us from falling into sin, he keeps us from falling into discouragement. He keeps us from falling into, into uh, absolute and total despondency. I read uh, some time ago about Horatio Spafford, who was a very wealthy man. He was a, a benefactor of the Moody um, Crusade Ministry. And, and the Chicago fire occurred in, uh, in Chicago in, in his time, and he lost all of his properties. All of his buildings that he had amassed great wealth in were burned down. And then, uh, a, a, as a result of this, it became a very stressful time. He lost a, a little boy uh, due to his wife's uh, pregnancy, and they lost their son. And times just were getting bad. So he said to his wife, I want us to travel over to London and uh, get away from all of this for a little while. But some business came up when they had made the schedule for the plan. And so the wife and daughters had to travel into London by ship alone. He said, I'll catch you in a week or so. And, uh, and later he found, he received a message that said that the ship that your daughters and your wife were on sunk at sea. And your daughters drowned. Your wife alone was saved. And it just seemed like the waves of, of crisis kept coming over his life. He lost his property. He lost his son. Now he lost his daughters. Finally, he booked passage on a ship to cross the Atlantic to go and meet with his wife, who was no doubt distraught as well. And as he was traveling across the Atlantic, he asked the captain of the ship, he said, Sir, would you please stop at the place where my little girls drowned? Would you stop at the place on the Atlantic where, where the, the ship went down? The captain stopped there for a while. He, said, he sat out there on the deck alone in mourning. He took out a pen and paper and he began to write. And he began to say, When peace like a river attendeth my way, or sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Horatio Spafford wrote that hymn that we sing today, it is well, it is well with my soul. What did he discover that day? He discovered that God is able to keep you, even at the door of grief itself, even in the days of greatest crisis, when your tears cannot possibly convey the sorrow that you feel. There is a hand of heaven that reaches down to hold you and to keep you hold us steady and to keep you strong. God is able. I don't know the news you've heard lately. Maybe they had told you that you are going to be sick for a long time. Maybe they have told you that there is no remedy for your child. Maybe they have told you that you are going to lose your house. Maybe they have told you that you may lose your job. Maybe you have confronted crisis and trial in this season such as you have never known. Can I tell you that God is able to keep you and that he will bring you through the storm. I said God will bring you through the storm. Somebody give God praise for his keeping. Hallelujah.
Second Corinthians 9, 8 says that God is able to make all grace abound unto you. Not only is he able to save and is he only able to keep, but he is able to make his grace abound to you. What does the word grace mean? There's two definitions that we find in the Bible concerning the word grace, or two concepts. The first, the one we're probably most familiar with, is, a, is that grace is the unmerited favor of God. That's when God gives man something that man does not deserve. And so the forgiveness of our sins is the grace of God. God gave us something we did not deserve. That's amazing grace. But John Newton wrote about how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He's talking about the unmerited favor of God. When God goes out of his way to bless a sinner, it's grace. When God goes out of his way to save someone who doesn't deserve to be saved, that's the grace of God. But there's another word, uh, another sense of the word here. And that is that grace is not only God's unmerited favor, but it is also that grace is the of the divine help of God for the believer. Grace is God's divine help. Divine help for the believer. When you and I are going through our day and we find ourselves making decisions we don't know the answer to, God helps us. We call that grace. When we come upon a moment of decision or crisis and we receive strength that we didn't know we had, that's grace. When you have to pray for someone and you don't know how to pray, but all of a sudden out of your belly come words of life and truth, you find that that is the grace of God. When you and I have been given a task or a challenge, a calling from God that seems heavy and unable, or that we're unable to bear. God's grace gives us the ability and the strength to bear it. And the apostle says that God is able to make all grace abound. What does that mean? That means that there's no situation. Listen now, there is no situation in your life that God will lead you into that his grace cannot sustain you in the middle of. There is no storm that God will lead you into that his grace cannot hold you up in the middle of that storm. The only reason I'm standing today is because of the grace of God. The only reason you're still smiling today is because of the grace of God. This work of the Spirit in our lives that holds us up when nothing else can. The abundant, overabounding grace of God. This morning, you need His grace. You need His grace more than you need anything else. You need His grace to raise those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You need His grace to be able to work with that cranky boss and those gossipy colleagues. You need His grace to be able to keep your faith when the, when the critic is constantly picking at it. You need His grace to keep going forward when the, when the world and, the, and your circumstances are telling you to give up. You need His grace when you're up against the ropes and you think you have lost. You need His grace to remember that you are able to get up and go forward another day, another week, another month, another year till Jesus comes because God's grace is the all-sufficient help of God. And this is what's so important about what Paul says. He says, Paul, he says, God is able to make all grace abound. 
And in Ephesians, he said, this is by the work, that, the, the power that is at work within you. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he gives you the power, the grace to do the will of God. He gives you the anointing, the, 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 the strength to carry out God's will and purpose for your life. And this morning, I want to remind you, I want to challenge you with this. Because some of you are thinking about quitting. You're thinking about giving up. You're thinking about throwing in the towel. You're thinking about saying, I can't do it anymore. I can't go any further. I can't hold on to this marriage. I can't hold on to this situation. And I'm here today to tell you that God's grace is sufficient for your need. God's grace is, is sufficient exactly to the measure of where your life is right now. And so, if I can just read to you again the words of the scripture and encourage your heart with this. God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ask or even imagine. How many of you have a big imagination? Someone asked you to make a cupcake that was this big. If you have a big imagination, God has a bigger imagination. And he says to you, I am able to do exceeding. That means outside of the bounds. Overflowingly. Bigger. Greater than what you can be asking him for. And today, he wants to stir your faith to trust him for the big things. He says, don't give up. Don't stop praying and don't stop waiting for that thing because I am able to do that thing which you are asking me for. I'm able to blow your mind. I'm able to exceed your expectations. You know, I'm convinced this morning the greatest problem for the believer today is low expectations. God doesn't just want to give you a refrigerator. He wants to fill it up too. He doesn't just want to give you a washer and dryer. He wants to give you a new wardrobe to wash it, to wash in it. He doesn't just want to give you a job. He wants to give you a job that meets all of your needs and fulfills your purpose. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God that can do above, greater than. He doesn't just want to give you a car that you can you bring your family into church, but enough room in that car to bring your family and somebody else to the house of God. He is able. But I want you to know this too. He's not only able, but he is willing. He wants to bless you. He wants you to walk in the full blessing of what he can do for you. And so the apostle really, when we read this text this morning, it is a doxology. What is a doxology? It is an expression of worship. He is saying God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine. 
according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church. What is Paul saying? He's saying because of this fact, because of this truth, the church ought to give God glory. It ought to give God praise. When you wake up in the morning, you ought to wake up praising God. You ought to wake up giving glory to God. You ought to wake up thanking God for another day of life, for another opportunity to serve Him, for another opportunity to love your family, to another day to breathe the air and to breathe in the presence of God in your daily experience, friend. You and I must give Him glory. You all know that I live kind of where there's some trees and squirrels and such. And uh, the other day I was sitting at my at my counter, doing my devotional, and the word got me. Has the word ever gotten you? No? Has the word ever just leaped off the page and splashed you in the face? It just gets you. Well, well, when the word got me, I said, glory! And I looked out the window, and there was a squirrel running for its life. I want you this morning, this morning to say glory and let the devil run for his life when he realizes that there is a church that knows how to praise God. Give him glory in the church. I said give him glory in the church. There ought to be glory in the church because our God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine. If they can give glory to a football team on the football field, and if they can give glory to a basketball player on the basketball court, if they can give glory to a soccer champ on the soccer field, if they can give glory to a politician and a president, I can give glory to God because he is able to save. He is able to rescue. He is able to heal. He is able to deliver. Come on, give him glory in the church. Hallelujah. If you're going to praise him, praise him right now. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make a boast in the Lord. The people will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. God is able. I said God is able. I want you to look at your mountain this morning and tell it God is able. I want you to look at your challenge this morning and tell it God is able. Hallelujah. Come on, fill your mouth with worship. Fill your mouth with a spirit of prayer. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too difficult for God.